Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor. Pull up a chair and get ready for some candid and uncompromising discussion with experts, innovators, agitators, and influential people from every corner of health and well-being. From inside the hospital to at home in the kitchen, we're leaving no stone unturned in our quest to uncover the secrets of healthier, happier, more successful, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much for joining us, and without further ado, let's meet this episode's guest. Adam, we've just started. Hello, Adam. How are you doing? Hello, hello, Hadra. I'm, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Well, I'm I'm, I'm very well. Um, you you talk about professionalism a lot, and something that that is always mentioned when it comes to to um, doctors and, and, and doctors work and lifestyle. I mean, is, it, is, it, is this something that we can teach, professionalism? Well, I mean, towing the, towing the party line, I'd have to say yes, simply because I was involved in uh, being a seminar facilitator at, at Cambridge Med School teaching on the professionalism, ethics and law course. Um, and uh, it's one of those things, isn't it? If you If you sort of get people early enough, so when they're they're undergrads and they sort of think they're invincible and untouchable because they have that kind of uh, arrogance of youth um, that they are quite shocked when they're told that actually you can be disciplined by your medical school akin to the way the GMC disciplines um, you know fully grown doctors uh, for you know gross misdemeanors and, and so on you know um, it then as people get uh, older and more established in their career and the GMC will they have graphs of, of uh, different spikes of activity along your career uh, in terms of getting um, action uh, taken against them and you know you look at those sort of quite late on in their career who maybe they're kind of peri-retirement you know they're kind of given up they're fed up of, of the establishment and the system and, and the changes being imposed on them um, and they just get a bit uh, a bit renegade uh, some of them and it's like well can you can you teach professionalism to to that cohort of of doctor you know um or um you know are they just so lacking in insight that that you can't do you know what i mean so uh, you know you need you need to sort of have the the ability to appreciate it i think uh, to be able to teach it but you need to put it out there as a concept um early on otherwise people <laughs> they almost don't know it that it exists, yeah. you know. So, yeah, I find the definition quite difficult to to understand and and wrap my head around. I mean, is it something that that the hierarchy defines what pref- uh, uh, professionalism is, or is it sort of an innate thing that that you have, and it just needs to be shown to you what professionalism, according to you know, the system is. So how do we how do we learn our professionalism? You know how do uh, how do I know that uh, what I'm doing is is ethical and you know morally sound? And am I practicing with integrity? Which you know, as you'll see, um, little little um, memes and and so on uh, on social media. Integrity is what you do when no one's looking at mm-hmm. you. You know that's how you act when no one's looking at you. And you know you you'd be the same as me. I'm sure when we were at medical school, we were looking to our seniors when we were clinical students we were looking to our consultants 
Reggie's, SHO's houseman even, for a steer on how it's appropriate to behave. So there is that kind of, that learned thing through going through the profession, mm. the medical profession. And I'm sure it's the same in other professions as well. You know, obviously, you know, I have a, a barrister qualification as well. And, uh, you know, there's similar, similarly rigorous reg- regulations, mm. uh, you know, with the Bar Standards Board and Solicitors Regulatory Authority as there is with the GMC. So, and, and it'd be the same for accountants and, and whatever. Um, so, you know, professions all, all rely on a bedrock of professionalism, I think, mm. to be even deemed professions. Mm. But yeah, is, are these organizations and the, the, you know, the powers that be and the people in the ivory towers and, and whatever dictating professionalism to us because it's a societal expectation? Are they merely the, the sort of conduit for what is expected mm. by the person on the street of a doctor, of a lawyer? That there are, it's, on, it's, it's a complex question with, with mm. a, lot, a lot of levels to it, I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are sort of political issues, social issues. Um, that's on the conscious side. And then you've got the subconscious side, which is, you know, sort of international and then sort of humanistic and spiritual. Mm. So all of these sort of take into account. Yeah. Um, but, you know, recently there, there, there has been this conflict between, you know, the hierarchical professional regulators and certain actions which are deemed unprofessional and then sort of a backlash recently with, you know, the Baogaba case. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, that sort of caused um, whether we're just tuning into the people who are causing the issues. Are we sort of concentrating too much on that? Or, or do you think there is an underlying issue going on here where there isn't enough open debate about professionalism and regulation of this professionalism? <clears throat> so I need to be careful what I what I say here, really, yeah, because sure. um, you know the um, I'm I'm not I'm not entirely convinced, and this is just my opinion that um, there isn't an institutional basis mm. for what happened mm, um, mm, mm, with Dr. Baragaba mm, mm. within the GMC itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I could I could go into that. Um, but this is probably isn't the forum for it. But yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. people who are in the upper echelons of the GMC coming out speaking to GPs, and, and I've been in the audience of, of these things as, as recently as last year, yeah. where they're still trying to make excuses for it and still trying to mm. make out that actually it was her fault, mm. and mm. that does not sit easy with me. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I understand. I understand, and that's why there, 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 there has been this sort of unrest in the psyche of of a lot of people in yeah, our profession. Absolutely. Um, I mean, this person was brave to come and talk to a room of, of two hundred GP appraisers, sure. uh, and yeah. it's not easy. Perhaps not expect some sort of yeah. resistance, should we say, yeah. and challenges. Yeah, and you know that that will only make them think differently about their approach and the way that they handle things and that can only improve things i see yeah well it seemed uh, on the face of it um a public there was a public veneer of the of the of the gmc um backing down in in light of the you know the high court decision and the mpts's um, uh, um processes and so on but you know as i say this person came and spoke and i think in the in the offices of the um, of the GMC, there, there may be a different feeling. Mm. Mm. 
and you know so sometimes you you know you do have to agitate the uh the milk so to speak to get to be, to get a bit you know a bit of uh, butter or cheese or yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i like cheese anyway <laughs> me too <laughs> you know i love cheese i just i just can't put it down and um what's your favorite cheese I guess I'm a little bit of a traditionalist. Uh, I do like a, a nice mature cheddar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but exactly. I, I'm I'm blessed to live um, pretty close to the uh, the, the heart of of Stilton um, mm. in the East Midlands. So there's some great great villages around here um, that are well known for producing the best Stilton. So you know that goes down a treat as well. Wonderful. So yeah, maybe <laughs> you know professional regulation. You know, new cheese might be coming out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who's the next big cheese? Yeah. But, you know, I mean, medical leadership is sort of something that's um, becoming a bit of a buzzword now. And because um, you've been involved in, in leadership training. And so I'm going to ask the cheesy questions. You know, what sure. makes a good leader? Whether it's medical or non-medical or legal, because, you know, you're sort of involved in, you know, quite a lot of different... Uh, specialties yeah yeah and i think you're right i think the um the attributes of a good leader and i'm in no way um you know portraying myself as an, as an expert uh, or or a good leader as well um an expert you are adam an expert you are <laughs> you're too kind um but the, they're obviously uh you know trans trans profession um so whether it's medical legal you know architecture whatever um, politics um you know uh good leaders tend to in my opinion have the same sorts of traits you know um i'm 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 becoming more more involved in coaching and i'm starting my coaching journey um into into leadership coaching <coughs> excuse me but um you know, I, le I learned a certain amount. I had a very steep learning curve with my my first medical leadership role as an assistant medical director at NHS England a, a few years ago. Um, and I, I, looking back, I can tell you the things that I that I wasn't as a leader that I would now be. Um, you know, more uh, more visible, more um, more accessible. Um, you know, just having more time to speak to. Um, you know, people who, uh, you know, are working at uh, sort of a lower level in the organization. Um, just, you know, being, uh, I mean, I've always, I've always been, I've always liked to think I've been being kind, but it's actually kind of like having the time and not letting the stress of the job detract away from, you know what, even though I'm going to be half an hour later finishing person still needs by the look of it someone to just sit down with them and, and have a bit of a chat with you know um i'm i'm very much um uh, falling in love with this concept of compassionate leadership and 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 kind leadership uh and you're right it is uh it is all very uh buzzwordy and, and topical at the moment but it's perhaps it's just a um an awakening uh that, that had to happen and in fact i was uh I had a, a a guy who was an, an ex-surgical trainee um, post MRCS who didn't didn't uh, wasn't enjoying life, uh, working life. He contacted me on LinkedIn, wanted to talk about medical legal careers. 
So I put aside some time from yesterday and we spent about an hour and a half on the phone and we were talking a bit about coaching and he said that it seemed that, that coaching in the surgical arena was quite quite big about 20 years ago and it seems to have sort of fallen off somewhat. Um, I didn't know this because I'm not really in that in that arena, you know. Um, but uh, that's a real shame. It seems that now we need it more than more than ever. Um, but um, yeah, um, I, I'm I'm actually starting going to start to be a, a coach for um, an organisation called the Joyful Doctor. I don't know if you've you've heard of the Joyful Doctor. Yes, Joyful Doctor. We've got Dr. Caroline Walker in our next event on the 11th of June. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> so I've spent some time talking to Caroline recently and uh, she's taken me on as one of her, her coaches, the idea being uh, with her organisation to bring joy to the working lives of doctors yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. and probably the world eventually. I think she has yeah. great aspirations and ambitions and, uh, you know, if she, if she can't do it, then no one can. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think that's what we need. You need as a, as a leader to uh, obviously get things done and have all the kind of classic business attributes of a strategic overview of things and you know where's the organization going and, and and all of that which you can find in in an MBA textbook but ultimately um, you know can you bring joy to the working lives of yeah. the people in your team yeah yeah um, and and, and, and something really interesting you said I mean I've, I've taken up a, a leadership role recently being chief medical officer for a private healthcare organization and I found I thought I was a good leader but I'm not <laughs> because you see yourself how how not to be um, how can I say this how I'm being not a good leader by being the leader I saw right. do you know what there are so many things I'm not doing how did you see yourself in that way? You know, I mean, it's hard, isn't it? You know, you'd almost have to have an out-of-body experience. You know, I mean, I thought I was a good listener, but I wasn't. Right, right. You know, yeah. I thought I was accessible, but I wasn't. Yeah. You know, I thought I was being myself and being human with my other colleagues, and I wasn't. Right. And I only realized that when the problems arose. Yeah. And that way, I, I saw myself not being a good leader. I mean, you know, I had all these buzz, buzzwords in my in my head, but when I took that role, that true leadership role, you see how you're not. But listen, you know, you can't you can't be amazing in in every category yeah. that you yeah. consider is necessary for leadership. You know, and I had some coaching myself um, last year by an, an amazing um, healthcare leadership coach called Dr. Fiona Day. Uh, I've had her on the podcast as well. Super. <laughs> Getting the right people. I don't know what I'm doing on here, but anyway. Um, so, you know, and, and she, she taught me about, you know, my, my core beliefs and my core values. And, yeah. you know, everyone's core values are going to be different. But if you, if you hold true to those um, and, you know, follow those through with your leadership, you know, like for me, I, I came to realize that, um, you know, gratitude is really important to me, mm. and I mean personal gratitude, not for people to be grateful for me. You know, yeah. um, and uh, you won't be surprised to hear that justice and fairness and equity are really important to me. With my with my legal background, I guess I almost sort of shoehorned myself into into following that qualification. Um, and so, if I if I kind of concentrate on on my core values, and there are there are others then and and do those well then i think i'll be 
I'll be a good leader. Mm-hmm. You know, but you can't you can't do absolutely everything, and you need to be forgiving of yourself. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so you need to forgive yourself that you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feel you know you have a perception that you failed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is a it is a learning process, but particularly in things that you haven't approached and. You know, for me, it's a new experience, and and the reason why I went into it is because I want to be in this new challenging experience because I yeah. feel it's the next evolution in my in my self development. Yeah, yeah. And you know, maybe that's something that hopefully other professionals can look at is sort of doing new challenges. It doesn't have to be work related. Yeah. But it's sort of stepping into these new challenges to see what you're not and. Just, just as much as what you are, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, and I agree, and and I, I do try to do that myself. So if I, uh, I think there's a certain type of patient, uh, you know, a certain type of condition or something that I feel a bit apprehensive about treating, I'll, you know, uh, my initial reaction will be to sort of step away from that, and then it's like, do you know what? I'm only going to become more de-skilled at, at by doing that. You know, I need to actually embrace it and chase up as many of those opportunities to see that sort of patient as possible um and then i'm going to be good then i'm going to get over my demons mm. you know and i said recently said this to an, an appraisee of mine you know uh who was um had a complaint mm. uh, from a particular um out of a particular type of patient and uh was just a, it was a palliative patient and he was just avoiding going and doing home visits for palliative care and i said no you know what you need to you need to seek out these opportunities, and then you'll, um, you know, you'll get over it. Don't, don't, don't avoid it. Yeah, I mean, it's this element of fear, isn't it? It's sort of fear consuming you, and you allow the fear to sort of take over rather than recognizing it, processing it, yeah. and then see how you can either minimize the fear or sort of turn the transfer the fear, uh, transform the fear rather than transfer yeah. the fear. Yeah. It's really hard to do. I mean, you know. No, I mean, it's hard. I mean, you know, none of these that, concepts you know, are easy. Yeah, but, he's going to. I mean, he's... we've got to step up, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. these podcasts are not easy. People think, oh, it's you know whatever, and this and that. No, it 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 it, it is a challenge, and uh, it's very difficult. But yet, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, it's my first one. Oh, really? <laughs> well, there you go. You know, I've, I've, you know, I, I tend to do stuff like the first one, and then once, once the first one's done, they, they say, do you know what? I'm going for the second. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, well, that's it. But I was, you know, I was sort of, sort of nervous. I'm like, but do you know what? It's, uh, you know, Hayda's a nice guy. Yay! Uh, he, that's nice. He go easy on me. <laughs> and then he's out, out of the traps he starts with questions on professionalism <laughs> yeah and GMC and like fuck oh, what the fuck is going on now <laughs> this is bloody hell and, and this you're thinking he's a nice guy what a bastard <laughs> what can I do I mean I, you know I, I guess it's this sort of unpredictability it's it's probably the Iraqi blood isn't it we're very unpredictable Mate, I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> <laughs> That's your barrister sort of coming out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, let's sort of, because we're coming towards the end, um, just sort of on a practical note, if if a doctor gets a complaint or a professional gets a complaint, are, are there some sort of general things or specific things that are really important to sort of do so that they can um, get, this, get themselves out of uh, this sort of fear mindset? And yeah, I mean, I guess it's uh, one of those things. Um, again, with 
you know your uh, your youth and your inexperience as well. Um, I was talking to a, a colleague um, a couple of nights ago who is a GP partner. She has a, a locum doctor who's actually managed to um, collect her third complaint in the last four months, and she's she's a, she's a new you know, she's a newly qualified GP, and. I kind of casting my mind back to to those days when I was at that level, that would have devastated me, absolutely devastated. Even one, even the first complaint would have absolutely devastated me. Um, and you know, I'd have been full of self doubt and full of full of fear. What's going to happen to me? You know, uh, you get paranoid. You think everyone knows about it. You know, um, but it's just uh, you know, kind of take take a breath, take stock. Um, you know, get some wise counsel. You know, um, have a, have a look at it. Speak to speak to one of your colleagues in in your practice or your or your team. You know, if you if you're in hospital, speak to a consultant that you like and and trust and value their opinion. Not that may not be your immediate consultant. Um, you know, get get some sort of perspective. You know, they'll very very quickly. An experienced person will very quickly put it into perspective for you. Oh, you've got your first complaint. You know, you, pop, you popped your cherry. Don't worry about it. We all have to start with the first one. Um, you know, and they will really kind of um, take the uh, take the intensity down several yeah. notches, demystify it for you. Say, look, you know, this this happened. This is. This is the crux of it. This is what you need to do. Um, you know, it, I'd always advocate people at least touching base with their defence organisation, mm. um, simply because if it does escalate, and sometimes these things do, then they need to be in a ground floor level, and also they be a bit reticent about helping you if you've already sought some help elsewhere at the start, because like anyone, they can't vouch for the quality of someone else's work. So they want to be in at the at the outset, um, and they're very good. I used to work as a medical legal advisor for the MDU, you know, and uh, really really good at reassuring doctors. It's you know, doctors are patients to a medical legal advisor mm. in a way, mm. um, and they come with all the same insecurities and and baggage that that patients do, uh, and some of them are worse, mm. much worse, and some of them you can kind of see how they might have got themselves into trouble because they're sort of lacking insight. Um, but yeah, don't panic, seek, seek wise counsel. And, um, you know, there's never, it's never an emergency. You know, if you get, I had a, a, a chap I was helping very recently who was given a sort of turnaround time of five working days to respond to NHS England. Uh, I said, that's not right. I said, contact your defence organisation. They'll write a letter saying that's not appropriate, and and he's done that, and he's got an extra month. Mm, mm, mm. Um, but the, but when you see something on paper mm. with a, a a letterhead from an official organisation, you just panic and you think, oh my God, I've got to do exactly what they say. If they want it tomorrow, I've got to I've got to do it for them for tomorrow. No, no, you don't. You just phone them, and uh, and and get it kind of get it deferred. Um, they're actually the case handlers, even at the GMC, and I've had a GMC complaint against me. Um, they're actually, in my experience, of one uh, very understanding, mm, mm, mm. Um, but always good to speak to a, an experienced colleague who you you trust. Wonderful. Um, so, if people want to get hold of you, what's the best way, Adam? 
Um, so uh, email is email is good. Yeah. Um, Adam.harrison3 at nhs.net. Um, I'm on Twitter as Dr. Underscore Adam. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as myself, Dr. Adam Harrison. Um, Facebook is more kind of social stuff, not, yeah. not worky. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. And your company? Yeah. The company? The, oh, yeah. The, the coaching um, company? Fledgling, fledgling company uh, is called Doc Law. Uh, capital D, capital L. Um, I kind of um, specialise in helping people whose MDOs can't assist them. Mm-hmm. So it's usually more like probity things arising out of your personal conduct rather than clinical matters. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, happy to to, to help people uh, through that. Uh, as I say, it is uh, just kind of getting up and running very slowly. Too many other things going on in my life. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. I know the feeling. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much, Adam. It's been great. Not at all, Wade. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Surgical Spirit podcast. For all the latest in the world of Surgical Spirit, don't forget to follow on Twitter at The Third Eye Doc and catch me on Facebook at the page The Third Eye Doctor. You can visit the website at www.thethirdeyedoctor.co.uk for more information on the work that I do. And please send us feedback and questions and suggestions for the podcast. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. I've been Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, and I'll see you next time.